Old Vines Written by Sevdrak and read by Literarian Chapter 37 Harvest Part 2 Aziraphale has to head back to his rental to pack and attend a video meeting with some FTA people, so Crowley lets him go and grabs at the way his heart feels like it's been wounded and shoves it into a box. He can't think about that. Things will be fine. He'll get through the harvest and Aziraphale will figure his shit out and they'll be fine. Crowley heads out into the vines that afternoon. It's hot and sticky, even the sundress he's wearing feels like too much, and dragging the spotlights around is hard work, but they've cleared out a third of the chard, so he needs to move them to the rows they haven't harvested. By the time he's done, he's absolutely disgusting, but it's set up for the evening. The cool shower he takes afterwards is beautiful. Somehow the lukewarm water on his face clears out a lot of the cobwebs from his nightmare. Crowley feels refreshed and calmed and ready for another good dusk harvest. He doesn't even need a nap. Folks start showing up around six. They won't head to the vines until eight-ish, but it's an event for a lot of them, and Crowley isn't going to stop them from making it a party. They linger in the tasting room for a bit, and then head out to the picnic tables, where old Mistress R is starting the fire up again. Crowley's skin is still warm from the heat of 99 degrees Fahrenheit earlier in the day, but the Russian River Valley tends to be a bit dramatic, dropping into the low 50s at night. Hence the bonfire. The sun is near the horizon, it sets around half seven these days, and a few folks have bought bottles from the bar to share out here, and Crowley squares his shoulders and relaxes into it. Which, of course, is when Ligger and Huster come around the corner, terrible smirks on their terrible faces. God damn it! It figures. Crowley doesn't want to have to do this in front of these strangers, this crew of helpers. Uh, they haven't even done anything yet with them. Can he send them home or is he going to have to sit through this shit again and again? Nice shoes, Crawley, Huster says. Barefoot at your own harvest, Ligger continues. That's a violation, isn't it? No shirt, no shoes, no service. Hastard rolls with a derogatory look at Crowley's sundress. Crowley rolls his eyes and tries to keep his composure. We're busy at the moment. Come back later. Ligger throws a pointed look at the crew, who are trying very hard to not look like they're watching every single word. Yeah, you look busy. Real busy. 
Excuse me, says a haughty voice approaching from behind Crowley, and Crowley closes his eyes behind his sunglasses. Hello, Aziraphale continues, planting himself right at Crowley's side. I don't believe we've met. You may know me as A.Z. Fell. I'm here on behalf of FTA, the Food and Travel Adventures Network conglomerate. Surely you've heard of them. Huster and Ligger look at each other in a way that says they've absolutely heard of FTA. Right, Huster says slowly. And what are you doing here, then? That's not necessarily your business, says Aziraphale. God, Crowley has never heard him sound so snooty. It's like he's channeling that Gabriel, but in his own bastard way. But your business is, unfortunately. I take it you're here for an inspection? Uh, says Ligger. Yeah, inspection. Looking to shut it down. The gall of it has Crowley fisting his hands at his sides. As if they can just come in here and... Aziraphale tilts his head and the smile on his face isn't at all friendly. Sadly, the FTA law department prevents me from being involved in any sort of legal action, so I'll have to report this. I'll need to see your licenses. There's a pause as Ligger and Huster look at each other again. Crowley's frozen halfway between horror and hysteria. What is Aziraphale doing? This will either be the funniest thing that's ever happened to him or a disaster. He isn't sure yet. Huster frogs, then rummages around in the inner pocket of his worn corduroy jacket and presents something to Aziraphale, sneering. Oh, Aziraphale delicately takes it. Well, that's a business card, he says, as if talking to a child. And a lovely one, but I'm afraid it isn't a license. Says right there, Huster replies, gesturing. Albert Huster, winery inspector. Albert, Crowley thinks, coming down even farther on the side of hysteria. Yes, Aziraphale says slowly, and the condescension is dripping from his voice at this point. Unfortunately, anyone can make a business card. I need to see your actual inspector's license. I'll have to submit the number to FTA. Liability thing, he adds breezily, as if he isn't just bullshitting out of his glorious arse. You understand, I'm sure. Ligger doesn't look like he understands at all. He reaches into the back pocket of his dirty jeans and pulls out a wallet that's seen far better days. He rummages a bit, then plucks something out and hands it to Aziraphale. Ah, Aziraphale says, taking this one even more delicately. 
That's a driver's license, you see, not an inspector's license. You said license, Ligger retorts, sounding a bit embarrassed. He grabs the thing and shoves it back into his wallet. My dear fellows, Aziraphale folds his hands together and rests them on his stomach. I'm afraid you're going to have to return with your licenses and registration if you want to get on the property while I'm visiting. You see, the paperwork will be a complete nightmare. He rolls his eyes, and he's never sounded more Brit snob in his life, and Crowley thinks, that's it, I'm in love with a bastard angel. Oh, Hasta says. He looks over at Ligger. Ligger shrugs. Unless you don't actually have licenses, Crowley says, suddenly back to the conversation. Which is another problem. This isn't over, Crowley, Hasta snaps. We'll find something. No, you won't. Crowley squares his shoulders again and looks at them over the rim of his sunglasses. You've been told. Now fuck off. This is going right to the top. Ligger grumbles. Crowley shrugs. Go ahead. Just fuck off, yeah? For a moment, it seems like Huster's considering throwing a punch, but then Crowley feels someone approaching. Anathemas come to stand beside him, with Pepper, who actually looks like she's ready for a rumble. Adam's over on Aziraphale's other side. Well, Crowley didn't intend to form a gang today, but apparently that's what they're doing. You'll be hearing from us, Huster growls finally, and they turn and head back over to the parking lot. Crowley waits until they're out of hearing range and then says, somewhat weakly, What the fuck, Angel? What the fuck? Well, Aziraphale tucks his vest into place and straightens his bow tie. He looks incredibly pleased with himself. I figured it was about time I used the clout of fame to my own advantage. God, it's a good look on him. Crowley could ravish him right now. How much of that was true? He asks instead, cause this isn't the time or the place. Aziraphale smiles mysteriously. Some of it, actually, he replies. Not all. Does it matter? No. Crowley says happily. Jesus, he's a disaster. No, it doesn't. That was beautiful, Angel. Glad to help, my dear. The smile softens into something so affectionate, Crowley chokes on it. Hold up, Charlie interrupts, having approached them while Crowley was distracted. Are you actually a Zedfell? Oh! Aziraphale looks a little taken aback. 
Call me Aziraphale, please. Azfel, you're actually here. Martins joined the group. They all look a bit stunned. Ha! Huh. Crowley didn't realize the Wine and Book Club would know Aziraphale's blog. Then again, wine and reading, it probably makes sense that some of them would be aware of it. It's funny how he forgets, even now, that Aziraphale's a big name in the wine world. He's actual famous. It still throws Crowley every time. We read nothing but your blog for a week, Charlie says, looking excited. They're gesturing with their wine glass, and Crowley knows some of it's going on the ground. We had to try the cheesy wine, Martin gushes. And the bit about the shrimp, that was probably my favorite. No, says Charlie. The tomatoes. The fucking tomatoes. Martin groans happily and rolls their eyes. I had forgotten. They're both grinning. Aziraphale looks somewhat overwhelmed. Crowley shrugs. He's feeling too much right now, like he's bursting at the seams. They break from dust harvest around midnight this time. It's going to be cool tomorrow, where cool is relative as compared to 95 degrees Fahrenheit, and Crowley wants to have dawn harvest as well. Not everyone will come. People in general need more than five hours of sleep, he's learned, but he'll have enough to empty out another few rows. The chard is just so good at the moment, he wants to capitalize on that. The crew will eventually split up into two teams, dawn and dusk. The year always starts like this, though, with most everyone coming to dusk harvest for the party as well as the grapes. Crowley doesn't mind it. He doesn't have the brains to care about it. Not during harvest. Aziraphale kisses him before following Warlock to their car and inferior Antony hoots something as they walk by. Crowley's blushing and he flips the crew off as he heads back to his house. Crowley is restless. The residual anxiety from Huster and Ligger's visit churns in his gut. He knows he's done the right thing, finally kicking them off the property, but there's history there, and it's an instinctive reaction at this point. The harvest stress is starting to tighten up his shoulders the way it does every year. And he can't think about Aziraphale without thinking of the upcoming bit where Aziraphale's going to go home. This isn't his home. Crowley's being ridiculous. It's just that Aziraphale fits here. Or at least Crowley thinks he does. 
He hasn't asked Aziraphale whether he feels the same way. But Aziraphale has slid into their lives, Warlock too, and that sharp, needy part of Crowley wants to just ask him to stay. But he can't, like, literally can't. Not just shouldn't. Can't. Aziraphale does not live here. He lives in Los Angeles. He's going through a major life change. He needs to go home. God, he's quivering. There's no way he'll sleep. So Crowley picks up the electric lantern and his messenger bag and heads out into the vines. They're almost through the Chardonnay that makes honey and psalms, Song of Solomon will probably be next. He walks the rows, snipping bunches as he does, and putting them into plastic bags, scribbling with a sharpie to label the row, place, and time. The air smells like harvest. There's a tang the nights get, at the point where summer is tipping into fall, where the scent of leaves falling and decay and dried grass fill your nose. Or maybe that's just Crowley, but there's a feeling to it, the understanding that summer has fallen and autumn rules the air. He can smell the slight sweetness of the grapes, probably from the ones that have already burst. The ground is dry beneath his bare feet. The Pinots are likely to be next, based on previous years, so Crowley heads there next. He breathes in the scent of his vines and tries to breathe out the anxious mess sitting in his gut. Logically, he knows harvest will proceed as it has every year and that his skills improve annually, but it's that tightrope sense where one bad thing could knock the rest of it down like very expensive dominoes. The Pinot grapes smell darker, deeper, and he starts with the two acres of Lilith that's likely to be the next target. Snip, back, label, breathe. It's calming, in a way. On the other hand, it's nearly 2am and dawn harvest will start in four hours and stress is exhausting. He knows if Aziraphale had stayed, he'd be in bed right now, sleeping. Probably well fucked and relaxed with it, too. But Aziraphale has a phone call in the morning, and Crowley can't spend the night there with a dawn harvest coming up, so it is what it is. Oh, sure, he'll be fine. He's planning on diving into the harvest as hard as he does every year, because the craziness of it will distract him from not having Aziraphale around anymore. By the time that's all over, Aziraphale should be settled into whatever new thing he's doing with his career, and then they can try making something work. It'll work, it'll work, it'll work, 
rattles around his stupid fucking skull, whispers in his bones. He keeps having to repeat it, over and over, because otherwise he's going to spontaneously combust in the middle of the fucking petite Seurat. Once he's done with Lilith, he moves back to the crush building. Each bunch of grapes must be pulled from the stem, manually crushed, then filtered. It's somewhat numbing work, and Crowley does this so many times he might actually take a brief nap while he's doing it. There are eight jars of juice in front of him when he's done, plastic bags with labels next to them, ready for testing. Crowley stares at them for a while. This insomnia isn't uncommon. He barely sleeps during harvest anyway, surviving on naps snatched throughout the day and night. That restless energy is still quivering in his fingertips. There's no sleep on the schedule for him tonight. Sighing, he pulls his mobile out of his pocket, pulling up the spreadsheet he records the results in, and goes to test the sugars. Crowley, says Aziraphale, partially down the row. Crowley has stopped at the end, eyeing the way this year's vines have wrapped around the post. He isn't sure he likes it, and the clippers in his hand are asking him whether or not he wants to correct the problem now. Crowley, come look at this! There's a bit of surprise in Aziraphale's voice, and Crowley looks up from the bend. Its days are numbered now, and hurries to his side. Aziraphale is holding a bunch of grapes in his hand, and appears to be trying to prod one open. I was, well, snacking, Aziraphale says, and he definitely sounds abashed. Crowley chuckles at it. Of course his angel can't keep anything out of his mouth. But look, Crowley, there's something odd about this grape. Crowley looks down into Aziraphale's palm. The grape is split open, mush everywhere. Angel, did you chew this and spit it out? Gross! Ooh, says other Sam, suddenly there. Let me see. Budge up, says Claire. Aziraphale's shaking his head, prodding at the mush. No, Crowley, look, there's a smaller grape inside the grape. Angel, Crowley says doubtfully, frowning. I don't think that's... Aziraphale pushes one into his mouth. Chew carefully, he orders. Crowley does. He bites into the grape, tasting that first sweet tart burst of flavor. He rolls it around a bit on his tongue. He's about to chew it and swallow when he feels it. A tiny little globe of flesh at the center of the grape 
a different sort of give. Something must show on his face. Aha, Aziraphale says, sounding smugly satisfied. The clamour that follows is a bit ridiculous, as everyone needs to try one of these grapes. Crowley rolls his eyes. It's just a double germination, a lucky fruit that's set twice. He guesses it's interesting for people who haven't seen grapes growing in every single possible configuration and shape possible. Your grapes are pregnant! Martin tells Aziraphale very seriously. Then why are we eating the grape babies? Worst Anthony looks down at the few they have in their palm, shrugs, and shoves them into their mouth. Shoes snorts. Grape babies. Grabies. Gimme one, says Dickie Richard, approaching late. I want to eat a graby. I hate this, Crowley announces, but no one's listening to him anymore. A few days later, Crowley is shoved out the door by Anathema and ordered to go home to shower. Crowley feels a bit like a zombie with anxiety, and he can't think of a good argument so he does. He takes possibly the longest shower he's ever taken in his life and then plods downstairs in nothing but boxes, thinking he'll have a glass of wine and maybe some toast. Watch some chopped or something, fall asleep in front of it, be up in time for dusk harvest. It makes sense. But Aziraphale's there when Crowley walks into the kitchen, and he freezes, stunned. Hello, darling. Aziraphale's smile reaches his eyes, crinkling, a hint of amusement at Crowley's truly compromised state. He's suddenly aware that he's only wearing boxers, and he flushes, which will probably ugly blotch his way down his completely naked chest. Angel? Anathema called me, Aziraphale says, unapologetic. She seems to think you need an evening off, so I'm here to get you dinner and a drink. The noises that fall from Crowley's mouth sure aren't words. Pants, he says finally. Let me get pants. Aziraphale gives him an appreciative look that rakes over his skin down to his toes and back up. I'm certainly enjoying the view, he says, the fucking tease. But you do what makes you feel comfortable. Um, Crowley says. It's hitting him that Aziraphale's here, in his kitchen, and what if this is the last time he's in Crowley's kitchen for a while? What if this is the last time he's in Crowley's house? He wants to say something, anything. He can't catch the words he wants in his mouth. 
Yes, they have talked every day. Yes, they've been spending the time they can together, even with the harvest, and Azira felt sudden, urgent demand. But it hasn't quite caught in his throat yet, not the way it has right now, something welling up inside him that, fuck, he's not going to cry while he's basically naked. That's not happening. Oh... Aziraphale says softly, and then he has his arms around Crowley. Crowley wraps his own around Aziraphale, pressing his palm into that sturdy back. He rests his chin on Aziraphale's shoulder. It's all right, my dear. It isn't, but Crowley isn't going to say that. Not yet. Whatever days they have left, he wants them to be good ones. With a deep, shuddering breath, he swallows all of it. Sure, it'll give him indigestion eventually, but that's a problem future Crowley can solve. For now, he has Aziraphale. All right, he says, standing straight. What's the plan? You're not cooking, are you, Angel? Aziraphale giggles a bit. His face is still so open and warm, so adoring, and this is how Crowley wants to remember these last days. Of course not. Don't be silly. There's takeout from that lovely Thai place in Santa Rosa on its way. We're going to open a bottle of yours in Fandel and watch that ridiculous cooking show you like. Have dinner, consider another bottle of wine. And then, dear boy, I'm going to take you to bed. There's heat in that last bit, and Crowley feels it settle low in his spine, simmering with anticipation. Dusk harvest, he says weakly. Not at all. Aziraphale twinkles with certainty. Anathema is going to be in charge. You are taking the evening off. And here, faced with Aziraphale's delight and the feeling of his heart slowly tearing open, Crowley can't even fathom walking away from this to go back out into his vines. Fine, he drawls, making sure he sounds absolutely put out, because otherwise he's going to cry. They end up eating their delivery on the couch. Crowley in pyjama pants, Aziraphale with his waistcoat off and sleeves rolled up, and watch Crowley's favourite episodes of Chopped After Hours. He likes when Ted is so obviously drunk. Crowley ends up curled into Aziraphale's side, both of their hands wandering over each other, heated but not urgent. Crowley wants to fill his palms with the sense of Aziraphale until it's burned in, so he doesn't fucking forget a single moment of how this feels. The evening ends with Crowley stretched out in bed, 
Aziraphale riding him with slow, sure certainty. Their cheeks pressed together, tongues and teeth at each other's shoulders. Aziraphale holds him down with his entire self, taking control easily, and Crowley lets him. His breath catches as his hips piston up. The noises Aziraphale is making are absurd, too sensual to actually exist. Aziraphale drags it out so long that Crowley thinks he might actually die when he comes. Instead, he sinks into sleep, curled awkwardly into Aziraphale's bicep, an arm flung across his stomach. They finished the honey chart and are on their way to the Song of Solomon chart for its first dusk harvest. Aziraphale and Warlock have come early, and Crowley happily assigns Warlock and the them to dragging out the spotlights. Anathema and Newt are inside at the tasting bar. They're going home early, when Adam and Pepper finish helping to set up and head back inside. He has Martin, Worse Anthony and Shoes dragging out the bins, while Claire and the Sams are setting up on the picnic tables. Tracy is over with old Mistress R and Charlie. Shatwell's off with Dickie Richard looking at the back door of the crush building, and Francis and Max are coming down the path, carrying a few grocery bags that probably just contain Twizzlers and cheese popcorn. A few of them will trade off with Patrick and AJ and JJ and Shady Shen around 10pm so that they can come back for dawn harvest. And Aziraphale's holding his hand, which makes him want to scream for a lot of reasons. Days. He's not thinking about it. Shit, Charlie's in the bin again. Bird Sam is throwing grapes at them, other Sam is taking pictures. Dickie Richard and Martin appear to be racing Claire and Shoes around the building somehow? Fuck, this is chaos, and Aziraphale is holding his hand. Like, in public. At this point, the crew knows what to do, so rather than delivering the real lecture, Crowley just yells at them all for five minutes about how terrible they are. He's fairly sure they don't listen to him anyway, but it's like yelling at the vines. It makes him feel better. Eventually, they pair off and claim their rows and actually get to work, the fucking ingrates. Francis brought actual sausages this time, but they still don't have any better way to cook them, and Crowley's not dragging his own grill out into the goddamn vines, so it'll still be skewers and sticks. Sigh. Song of Solomon requires slower destemming and slower crushing to make sure he can get every last drop of juice out so he'll probably be up late processing the bins once everyone is gone. 
Or he'll have to get up early to do them while it's still cool out. Another late night is obviously just what he needs. Maybe Aziraphale will stay? No, Aziraphale has to pack. For all the fuck's sakes in heaven. Crowley wants a moment where time can just stop for a second. God, he wanted Aziraphale here for the harvest to be a part of the harvest, to see the actual fruits of Crowley's labour, and yet now all he wants to do is tug Aziraphale into his bed until a half hour before they need to leave. It's too much. It's going to be too much. But again, future Crowley will have plenty of time to deal with that. Present Crowley needs to not break down. He needs to enjoy this moment and every single moment while he's here. So this time he thinks, fuck the crushing, I'll do that later. And he and Aziraphale take a bin and head down to the far end of a lane to start harvesting. Crowley hasn't snipped his own grapes in years, except for the two areas of old vines that he's so protective over. It's actually quite satisfying. He chatters back and forth with Aziraphale, points out the bits of grapes that should be thrown out, flirts a bit, pressing full grapes to Aziraphale's mouth, occasionally aiming at his hair when his back is turned. Aziraphale, in turn, makes good progress, talking to both Crowley and Madame Tracy, who's in the next row over. Crowley watches Aziraphale under the terrible artificial spotlight. He's wearing awful jeans and more awful shoes and a powder-blue polo stretched pleasantly across his torso and belly. He should look awful, and he does, but fuck, he's stupid beautiful. He'll have this to remember, too, through the haze of harvest when it really kicks in and they're doing multiple fields at once and he starts to feel like he's just constantly drowning. He'll have this memory. Aziraphale's hands on his grapes, his smile in the vines, his lips on Crowley's, out on his land. It puts Crowley in a good mood, so that when he calls off the harvest around one, he sticks around. He actually lets old Mistress R feed him a hot dog. Aziraphale eats three. They sip at glasses of Lydia and watch the book club crew play the most haphazard game of hide-and-seek tag Crowley's ever seen. It feels good, this. He's exhausted, but in that good way, the one that says you were productive. Aziraphale's beside him, quiet and there, and Francis tells him some story about his crazy father, and old Mistress R looks like she's had three bottles already. She's cackling like a witch. Harvest isn't all bad, Crowley thinks.
and then it hits him. It's round nine at night, and he's on his way back from the tasting room, dusk harvest having been called off for the night since it's weirdly muggy out, and he opens the door to his house, and it hits him like someone just shot a car in his sternum. Less than a week, and Aziraphale's back in L.A. Even with Madame Tracy's assistance, even with what Warlock had wrestled out of FTA, it's closing in. There's so much going on with the contract negotiation that Aziraphale just can't stay here for the entire time. It isn't about the house, it isn't about the money. It's about the fact that FTA is based in Los Angeles and he has to be there to sort out this mess. It's just time. Nothing they can do, nothing left, except the better part of a week and the bits of time they can spend with each other. Between the harvest and managing the crew and the measurements and tracking and all the different wines he has to harvest for and Aziraphale's constant meetings and phone calls and packing up a place he'd spread out into over six months, their time is already limited. That's fine. The analytical part of Crowley's brain has thought this through and knows what's happening. The other part of Crowley, the part that's just starting to be scraped raw and open, has him in the car almost at the villa before he even realizes he's driving. The Bentley tucks itself in behind their terrible rental, and Crowley skids across the gravel as that space in him finally tears open and all of his feelings flood into the roof of his mouth. Aziraphale answers the door. He's wearing that stupid tartan housecoat over what looks like an undershirt and his car keys and slippers and his hair is fluffy like he's been running his hands through it. Crowley? His face is concerned, so dear, and Crowley just freezes looking at it. Aziraphale looks like he's turned in for the evening. The housecoat isn't flattering at all, his face is flushed like he's drinking, and Crowley loves him so much it feels like he might actually break with it. I'm scared he says to Aziraphale, before anything else can happen. Aziraphale stops, holding the door open, and isn't this the cliché of clichés, showing up at his fucking doorstep at night? Where are his goddamn fairy lights? But this isn't a movie. They aren't guaranteed any kind of ending. This is just Crowley, torn open and babbling. Aziraphale opens his mouth, but Crowley rushes on because the floodgates have been broken down and swallowed and he doesn't know what else to do. I'm scared, okay? Look, I know I'm not <laughs> easy and I'm not 
I know, special, and I'm a goddamn mess fucked 16 ways to Sunday, and that means I'm scared. You're heading back to LA, and you're going to find something that's perfect for you there. How can you not? You, you angel! And then... And he takes a deep, ragged, shuddering breath, because he's finally falling apart, and even if it feels like shit, he can at least let go the worry that he would. The worry is too late. This is his landslide. And we'll talk for a while, and maybe see each other once or twice, but I'm so much work. It's going to be different, and I'm scared because you're going to be far away from me, and I've gotten used to you here. Azi Raphael is silent, his mouth open in the smallest of O's, hands frozen in place. It's okay, though, because Crowley's like a fucking garden hose. He's just going to spit this all out until it lies at Azi Raphael's feet, and he most likely, turns off the flow of water. I don't know how to do this, Crowley says, and it's so plaintive as it comes out that he wants to shove sunglasses over his sunglasses and also die. His mouth is pouring out words before they really register to the rest of his brain. I don't know how to do this, and there are so many things I want to say and ask you, but I don't want to go too fast, and I don't want to be stupid, and I just... Angel, fuck. It trickles off as strongly as it started, and Crowley's left there, standing outside the door like this is a goddamn rom-com movie, and he feels like he's been torn down to the base of his spine and all his organs are splayed out and vulnerable. A lovely image. This will definitely make Aziraphale feel good about their entire situation. He is winning at relationships. He wants to go get in the Bentley and spin out until it's four years from now. Azir Raphael blinks. Crowley has stalled like a car in the middle of the road, and he just stands there staring, knowing that he needs to do something that isn't what he's doing, and then Aziraphale shakes all over as if he's had a sudden realization and his hands are on Crowley's shoulder and elbow and wrist, drawing him inside. Crowley feels a bit dizzy. Impulse and emotion have flooded his senses, to the point where he can barely remember how he got here, but the thing is, he trusts Aziraphale, and he's here to tell Aziraphale something, and all his bones are stacked and aligned to Aziraphale as north. The sharper, more urgent parts of him fold in, and he lets Aziraphale lead him into the bedroom suite, following until he's set down on a couch he knows. Crowley. Aziraphale says. There are notes in his voice that are beyond the normal spectrum. 
Crowley hears love and regret and caution and sympathy. Breathe. Come back to me. Crowley doesn't realize how spiky and uneasy he feels until he's sitting on Aziraphale's couch, breathing in air that has pressed against him atoms that have brushed that skin. How will he relax once Aziraphale is gone? Will he know how to do so without this touchstone? Darling, Aziraphale starts. His voice is oddly hushed, as if it's choked in his throat, too thick to make real words. Crowley knows the feeling. I don't know how to do this either, my dear. Do you think I know something you don't? Do you think I have any idea what's going to happen? He reaches out for Crowley's hand, and his grip is tight. You aren't the only one who's scared, my dear. <sighs> Crowley says, and then... It's not... <clears throat> this isn't helpful at all, so he takes a deep breath and tries to smash his noises into words. Angel, you've got so much else going on. You shouldn't be spending your time worrying about me. You've got your shit to sort out right now. He immediately regrets coming over. He immediately regrets so much. Crowley. It's just his name in Aziraphale's mouth, but it draws his attention, focusing him like a laser on Aziraphale's face. Crowley, darling, you're stressed and not sleeping right now, Aziraphale tells him gently. You're just starting your harvest. You're managing your crew and your vines and all of it on an incredibly demanding schedule. Please do not pretend you don't have a lot going on right now either. Crowley pulls his hands back, but it's just to pull off his sunglasses and rub his hands over his face. Fuck, he's such a disaster. This was so stupid. Yeah, I probably just need to sleep. Look... I'll get out of your hair. I'm sorry. You'll do no such thing, Aziraphale says, standing up. Come with me. How is Aziraphale so confident, maybe, or sure of things, at least at this moment? Crowley feels like a tangle of wires and distress. Aziraphale calmly leads him into the bedroom, takes a moment to rest his hands on Crowley's shoulders, and then starts unbuttoning his shirt. You need to rest, he says, like it's an order. I was just getting into bed myself. I've got a nice book I want to finish, so I don't have to steal it from Madame Tracy's library. 
You just tuck yourself in over here and I'll watch over you. Crowley sags with it. Something releases and he's just... The frenetic energy is gone and it's just become exhaustion. Maybe it was that all along. It isn't like he really knows how to read his own brain. It's written in, like, Russian or hieroglyphics. Space language. Earth to Crowley, what the hell is wrong with you? He strips down to his boxes and climbs into bed. Aziraphale is settling in against a pile of pillows, book in hand, bedside light on. And something in the moment strikes Crowley, the peal of a bell, and he looks up at Aziraphale from his pillow and says, Move in with me. Aziraphale blinks, looks down. Not now, Crowley says. Not even soon, I just... It's, uh... I wanted to say it. It's open. If you ever, you know, want to. Oh, Crowley, Aziraphale says, and he reaches down to clasp at Crowley's hand. Thank you. It isn't an answer, but Crowley finds he doesn't actually need one. Not yet. There's probably no possible world where things will work out for them like that, but he likes knowing that he made the offer. There's something comforting in having said it out loud. It calms the tearing feeling in his chest, leaving just a quiet weariness. Crowley isn't thinking about it. Oi, Sam, he yells. They both turn to look at him. Bird Sam, you can pick off the bad ones. Don't throw the whole bunch away. Their goodbye had been short. Why drag it out? Poignant, that's the word that sticks in his head. And now... Aziraphale's gone. Shoes, holy shit, stop overfilling the bins. The hoist can't, see? And now Anathema's got grapes down her blouse. Fucking Christ. The villa's empty. Crowley drove past it, just once, to get it to sink in. Worst, Anthony, you are the worst, Anthony. Can you please stop eating hot dogs and get back to picking? This is not a party. It is a party of sorts. It is every year, every night, every dusk harvest. Crowley's invitation cards nearly say so. His setup definitely does. The fire's going and the spotlights are bright over Adam and Eve's Zinfandel 
and the tenants are perfect at the moment and Crowley wants to get the entire acre and a half harvested tonight. Everybody's on deck. Even the them are out in the rows with shears. Every single bin is in use. Martin, Claire, you missing bunches. Stop blabbering your mouths and focus. We are not. Claire yells back, and it's true, but Crowley needs this. He spent spring and summer yelling at the vines. It's nice to have actual people to scream at for once. He's been trying to get Anathema to try it. She has a great shriek when she's really angry. But she said something about the moon in Virgo or whatever and went back to working the crusher. The villa's empty. There's no one in the bedroom. All hands are on deck because Aziraphale and Warlock are back in Los Angeles. Dicky fucking Richard, if you eat another grape, so help me, I'll string you up from the spotlight with your own shoelaces. Other Sam just throws him a grin and yells, Bold of you to assume they can tie a shoe. Don't make fun of my Velcro, Dicky Richard replies. You're all terrible. Crowley can't watch this shit anymore. He heads back into the building. He'd pulled samples from three of the blend tanks a while ago. They should be done running. He's worried about the pH in one of the tanks, which is higher than the others. Solids is the same, and acids are close enough, so why in the world is it running high? He doesn't like this. They can blend it down, of course, but he wants to know what's happening. Charlie, if I see you in a bin again, he hollers, not even having to turn around and look. He can hear the sound of it. Martin yells back, he's in the bin, and Crowley wheels around, shears in his hand, wondering whether his grin looks amused or manic. He's not thinking about it. He has a harvest to focus on.